Hello and welcome along to another RTE Rugby podcast. Neil Tracy here with you as usual. Joined by Bernard Jackman and in a few minutes time we'll also be welcoming welcoming along former Scotland international Rory Lawson to get the lowdown on the Scots ahead of this weekend's game at Murrayfield. First though, myself and Birch will run you through the main talking points from last weekend's URC because it was a great weekend for the Irish provinces. Four wins out of four, Munster 47, 42 winners against the Scarlets. And then on Saturday, three away wins, Leinster beating Edinburgh 47, 27, Connacht 22, 20 winners against the Dragons and Ulster 42, 20 winners away to Cardiff. Even better as well still for Connacht and Munster by the fact that the Stormers beat the Sharks and the Lions upset the Bulls. So that is a great weekend all round for the province's Birch. And as I said, in particular, Connacht and Munster with what happened down in South Africa. Yeah, that was a, a very um, a big surprise result for the Lions, who have been struggling a little bit to beat the Bulls in, um, in in the in the South African derby, and just opens up that opportunity again for for Connacht and gives everyone else a little bit more uh, breeding space. So I, I look, at, I think probably at the moment with during international periods, unless the Irish teams are playing the South Africans, we we kind of expect to go. I expect to go four from four, you know. Um, Glasgow, obviously, without their internationals, are a little bit weaker than um, than the Irish. And, and obviously, the Welsh regions and the Welsh rugby is in a bit of a mess at the moment. So, you know, very good timing for our, for the Irish provinces. And, uh, yeah, four wins is great, even though probably Connacht's performance will will worry them a little bit. Um, they they certainly weren't impressive, but they, they got four points, I suppose. Yeah, I'll start on that one, actually, because... Um... I saw you were you were on the coverage as well on on Saturday evening. I didn't, I wasn't hanging around to get your thoughts after the match because I'd watched back to back games at home in Limerick, and uh, I think my mother was dying to get the the, the remote control out, out of my hand. But um, that Connacht win, look, it's it's a good win away from home. It is exactly what they needed to so need to get back above uh, Benetton after their win on Saturday as well. Um, I'm not mad on putting down the league, but. The last twenty minutes of that game was as as bad a game of rugby as I can I can remember in a long time. Yeah, look, well, Connacht shouldn't be lacking confidence because you know they've had a decent win against the Lions, decent win against the Sharks. Um, they won in you know a, a big win in Zebra, even though it wasn't a perfect performance, but I think it scored over fifty points. So Connacht should have been very comfortable in that game. Dragons that was their eighth loss in a row. They looked like a team who didn't have any confidence, didn't really know how to win. Uh, and yes, Connacht are probably lucky to hang on. Um, they certainly, you know, uh, played the game in the wrong areas at the end. They were under the pump, even though. And, and to be honest, Dragons looked like they had a man uh, extra rather than the other way around. Obviously, uh, Matthew Screech, the Connacht or the, the Dragons lock, got sent off in the thirty-fifth minute. And yeah, I, I think it was worrying. Look, Jack Carty pulled out before the game. There was a bit of stuff going on in Con- in the background of Connacht with contracting and you know some high profile players leaving on, so maybe there's a little bit of unrest there, or yeah, a, a change is never easy, but uh, it certainly wouldn't inspire you that even though they have a an easy fixture list to finish, um, bar that away game to Glasgow, uh, or bar Glasgow at the end in, in the last round, um, it wouldn't inspire you that they're 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 full throttle at the moment, you know, um, and to be honest, that's probably a game. They would have fancied five points before the game, and particularly, you know, when Dragons were down to thirteen, um, for about seven or eight minutes, you know, not to capitalise on that. In actual fact, they conceded the try during that period. Um, yeah, it was a performance full of full of flaws. Yeah, but as you said, the flip side is the the fixtures list coming ahead of them. Three games remaining in the regular season. They're in the top eight. They're within two points of the Sharks, who slipped up at the weekend. 
And you look at the games they have left, home against Edinburgh, home against Cardiff, and the toughest one, obviously, away to Glasgow in the final round, which will probably actually decide whether they're finishing seventh or ninth in the table if they can pick up two wins otherwise. So, you know, I suppose they're at a stage in the season where results are probably a bit more important than performances. Yeah, they are. Look, and they've got the win, another win in a row. It's the first time, I think, ever that Connacht have won four in a row in this domestic competition, which, you know, which is... um. Shows you that they have struggled for consistency, and and this is this is obviously a, a personal best for them. So I, I don't want to be too hard on them, but I think we have to call it as we see it. It just was a it was a game they were very very lucky to win. I mean, um, Sam Davies has a kick on the right side. He's a left footer. He normally slots, just misses the uh, the post, and then hits the crossbar with or hits the post with a drop goal. Has another drop goal attempt, but I think the biggest one was Ashton Hewitt. Had a two-man overlap and he and he went himself and um got held up, which is good scramble defense. But they were lucky to be in that position um at the end where you know Sam Davies needed a drop goal because Dragons had had, had other chances to score. Yeah, who knows? By the end of the season, that could be an absolutely massive four points. We'll ever know. Uh, we'll find out in about six or seven weeks. But going back to Friday night, Munster forty-seven forty-two winners against the Scarlets in one of the most bonkers games I can. I can remember a lesson to us all, Bernard. If you ever, if you ever write match reports, don't ever try write something at halftime, no matter how certain the result looks. All right, because you're going to regret caught, it in the yeah. final five minutes. <laughs> I got caught today. Um, Sexton got a drop goal in France, uh, so um, I nearly had the whole thing written. And, and the next thing, it was a late deadline. It was a tight deadline. I had to had to start from scratch. But uh, no, the game at the moment it favours attack. I mean, defence is optional in some games. Um, and in fairness to Munster, they they set their stall out this summer in terms of they want to be a better attacking side. And I think their attack looks really, really sharp. Um, and they ripped the Scarlets apart. And, you know, um, there's a real confidence, a real good vibe there. I think the, I think it's... Scarlets, when they want to attack, can be good. And they have improved, in fairness, since Lee Blackett, the WASP coach, has come into the coaching staff. So I thought Scarlets were very poor early in the season. But they're on a bit of a run at the moment. Um, uh, of form, and they showed in the second half that they're, um, they are probably the best Welsh team. Uh, I think, um, or uh, at the at the moment, in terms of danger, uh, and Munster probably just eased off uh, mentally, and that's something that Roundtree will will be able to talk to him about without the pain of having lost the game or not getting, you know, five points out of it. So it's probably not a bad lesson for Munster to have. Um. Tough week for them, obviously, off the field as well. And maybe they're just emotionally drained. And I don't know. I'm sure there's, a, there's some, it's either they switched off or they were just, it was just an emotional week and, and they were just physically um, drained and they just ran out of a bit of juice. But I, I think Munster are trucking along quite nicely tonight. I might just get you to pick up the, the earpiece there because I think that is the microphone part on that. It was probably pulling away from your mouth a little Sorry. bit. Sorry. Okay, no, perfect. You sound a bit better there. Um, yeah. I'll just come in on Munster then. Yeah, um, no, go again, yeah. yeah. But... No, even I'll just pick up from from what you just okay. said at the end there. Um, yeah, and you mentioned the attack there for Munster, particularly I thought Shane Daly and Calvin Nash in the first half in particular. It it was really really interesting to see what they were doing with them. Like they were in off the wings so much, and they were causing the Scarlets a huge amount of danger. And just even if you look at the table where they are now, fifth in the table, they got the game against Glasgow coming up in a couple of weeks' time, and if they win that, they're into the top four. And when you see what happened in South Africa as well, there's a nice bit of daylight between them and and the Bulls in sixth place, and they got fourth right in their sights. Yeah, brilliant, and 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 absolutely, and they have the qualifying or the European match against uh, the Sharks in Durban to look forward to knockout rugby. 
Um, so I think they're they'll be very excited about this end of season, and it's a huge turnaround uh, from where they were to start. Obviously, losing the way to the Dragons, etc. Um, but I, I've been really impressed with Graham Rowntree, you know, and his coaching staff, Limi, Prendergast, Kiraku. They didn't panic at that time. They just said, "Look, this is what we need to do. There's going to be pain. Um, we need to change the uh players." minds around how to play the game and, and the fairness that like you know Johan had a had a it was because Johan was there so long I think it became ingrained um and uh, you know coaches can influence players um philosophies around the game so uh, Mike Prendergast and Roundtree had to reteach them you know a different way of playing uh, and it took a little while to uh for everyone to hit their straps um but now it's also some personnel as well have really come into their own Paddy Patterson um is well suited to this type of game. Uh, Frisch, uh, looks you know uh, so dangerous ball in hand in a, in those outside channels. Whether it's his own pace or whether it's his offloading ability, or we saw him using that physicality to to run over people at the weekend. And Fekatoa has found a bit of form as well. So um, and and that's given the likes of Nash and Daly, you know, really good opportunities. And it's very similar to Ireland where Prendergast doesn't want his wings to to hold with I mean they're going for the ball and they often create opportunities where both wings are connected um, uh, and you know running at type 5 forwards and, 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 and stressing them so it's uh, yeah it's very similar to Leinster and and, and, and Ireland um, but there's a reason for that because it works you know it works and um, I just think I think Munster that dressing room must be absolutely buzzing at the moment yeah, particularly with RG Snyman back as well. It was a great reception for him when he came on in the second half. On Leinster, very routine win, 15 out of 15 now, and they're they're pretty much coasting their way to, to top spot and top seed for the playoffs. But we did get to see another great variation on the on the five-meter tap and go. And the beauty of all of this is that every time they come up with another little version of this, it just creates another bit of uncertainty in a defense where they're lining up wondering, okay, what's the shape doing here? Where are players standing? What are we going to expect? And it's probably why you end up seeing Dan Sheehan scoring the try against Munster where he just tipped and ran and made it the whole way to the line because you have that uncertainty. Yeah, the next, the opposition would be surprised if they just do a um, a traditional quick tap and, and just carry, you know what I mean? Into a pick and go. They'll probably do that again just to, just to calm everyone down uh, soon. But look, I think there's they're enjoying it. They're enjoying the creativity to it. They're, um, they've also been... Uh, very efficient, very accurate, you know. So they're obviously spending a lot of time walking through it, explaining people's role. And the one of the weekend to open up that hole for Scott Penny was beautifully created, you know. Um, they go away from an area and then come back to it, you know, late with someone of his power uh, hitting at a pace. And and obviously, you know, um, Edinburgh weren't able to stop it. And that game, in fairness, Edinburgh started well, but Leinster never panicked. He just... Um, you know, just build the score, build the score, build the score, and at the end it was it was very one sided, and uh, um, it's testament to these lads who don't always play how quickly they can look at 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 the at the speed of the game. Whereas I think sometimes now at the moment, especially during the international period, you're seeing lads who haven't had a lot of game time, maybe playing in the in the competition underneath the the URC in their country, so in the in the Welsh Premiership or. Is it the super the super six in Scotland, and it doesn't look like it's preparing them properly for for that level of rugby. Uh, whereas you know the Leinster lads, for all he come back from injury, um, he's just ready. And I think uh, the S and C coaches, the medical teams, 
in in the Irish provinces do an incredible job of getting fellas match match fit, which you know historically took a couple of games, you know, to be at your best. They're able to come in, you know, and that, that's why from an Irish point of view, if Furlong starts on Sunday, you know, we need him to be at his best pretty much straight away, and and uh, you'd have confidence in the Irish system that we do give players that environment to to be ready to go. Yeah, certainly, and then Ulster. Another good win as well for them at the weekend. They seem to have picked themselves back up after their their rough spot. But I think the the part of the win that everyone was just delighted to see Jacob Sockdale finally getting back in and scoring a try, and most brilliantly as well, he scored what I think everyone would call the Jacob Stockdale try, where he gets the ball out in the edge, puts that little chip over the top, and judges the bounce brilliantly, and and manages to score. Look, whatever whatever comes of it for him, whether he ends up in a World Cup squad down the line or anything like that. You know, all that remains to be seen. But for someone who's just been through so much, it was it was great to see him getting back and looking like his old self again. Yeah, and look, he has he's played so little over two years, um, and I I do think he just needed something like that to happen to just, I suppose, reconfirm to him of his quality. Like he's he's a world class finisher, um, and that was a world class finish. Probably when he kicked it, it was like there's no you know there's no obvious space in behind. It wasn't. A kick and chase where he was going to outspeed everybody. He needed that bounce to bounce exactly as it did, and um, it was a phenomenal finish for him. And I think that'll settle him down and give him a, a big boost of self belief. Will he make the World Cup squad? Obviously, he's so much to offer. Um, particularly, you know, the fact that Ireland are so reliant on having a left footer in that back three. Um, but if James Lowe's fifth, um, I I I don't see Stockdale making it back in um, just looking at some of the, the people who are just a little bit ahead of him even like, like so Jordan Armour etc um, probably just have enough done this season to just keep ahead of him or unless he has a massive end of season but uh, I think you know that would be a, a bonus for him um, but I think for him just getting back on the field knowing he still has the ability you know he's loads of time left to uh, to get back into the Irish team yeah, he still has another couple of World Cup cycles ahead of him and at any rate if he stays fit. But that's where we'll leave it on the URC for now. It's a couple of breaks until we're we're back into action on the 24th. Big game, top two. Leinster against Stormers on Friday the 24th. Followed by Connacht against Edinburgh, Munster and Glasgow and Ulster versus the Bulls. Few fixtures there with some, some big playoff ramifications. So that's when the URC is back on the weekend of the 24th and 25th of March. We'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll have Rory Lawson and Birch talking all things Scotland, Ireland. Welcome back. So I'm delighted to be joined by Rory Lawson, former Scotland scrum half, who's uh, hopped on the line to talk to myself and Birch about Scotland, Ireland this Saturday or this Sunday afternoon at Murrayfield. Three o'clock kickoff live on RT2 and RT player. Rory, thanks a million for joining us on the RT Rugby podcast. No, thanks for having me, Neil. I if the weather is going to be anything on Sunday like it is today, then we'd be in for a cracker. Having said that, I'm not sure it's looking ideal, but uh, look, I think whatever the case, the the, the sense of anticipation uh, from both sides, from Scotland and from Ireland, I think is is going to set us up for a, an absolute belter of a game. Yeah, it, it certainly will. And that's the that kind of tees it up interestingly for kind of how I was going to, to lead into you with it's, you know, it's been a while since there's been this much legitimate kind of hope and expectation around Scotland. We've had it at the start of tournaments before and, you know, things have fallen, faded away. But it seems like after three solid performances, granted one of them was a defeat, but 
it was arguably their best all-round performance. I think Gregor Townsend would probably say against France that what's the what's the sense over there with Ireland coming into town? Is it a sense of hope or is it a sense of expectation? Well, I think the 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 sense is and, and the knowledge is that you've got the number one team in the world coming over to Scotland. So I think there's a there's a natural excitement to the, from from a fan base and from from a player base, I think, because you always want to be able to measure yourself against the best. And Ireland have shown the quality that they they have. They they were they were far from perfect against Italy, but you know there were a few changes in there, and also it's a measure of how far Italy have come on. Um, but you know you're coming up uh, coming up against a side who have gone down to New Zealand and won a won a Test series and are three from three in the Six Nations Championship on track for a, a Grand Slam. So there is absolutely no doubt at all that Scotland know what's coming. With that, um, you know, hope versus expectation, I think I think naturally people would say they expect Scotland to put in a performance that really challenges Ireland. And I think if you, if you look back to the first press conference that Gregor Townsend had ahead of this Six Nations, he said... His demands on the squad are to try and find consistency of performance. It's about trying to find that. And I think that's what we, we've seen from Scotland through the first, the, the opening three rounds, that there has been a consistency of performance. There has been a cohesion, the most used word when it comes to Gregor Townsend's uh, side. And from, you know, from the fans and media and so on, they're talking about this cohesion. You can see that Scotland seemed to be on the same page. And with that consistency and cohesion comes the ability to, to challenge teams. And yeah, they, they didn't get the job done in France. 19-0 down, they, they still pushed France hard. But they'll be under no illusions as to the quality of Ireland um, coming to, to Murrayfield. But they'll believe that if they put in their best performance, they'll ask some big, big questions of, of this side. And the cohesion is the the big one. And another thing you mentioned there was a press conference at the start of the tournament because I was a reason to kind of think back in my head to the round five game last year in Dublin when Scotland really fell flat at the Aviva Stadium. And I remember being in the press conference afterwards and Gregor Townsend was there and Stuart Hogg was there. And the, the atmosphere, I have to say, like it was as bad as I can remember being at, at a post-match press conference that was there was kind of almost bickering back and forth between Hogg and journalists. And I remember thinking at the time like this, there's no way back for this team. Like they are so far off where, uh, you know, a, a top five, top 10 or top six or seven team in the world should be, or a six nations challenger should be. But in the 12 months since then, it seems relationships have certainly improved. The, the kind of atmosphere around the team has improved. And as you say, the cohesion and the performances have have greatly improved. What has happened in the last 12 months to take us from the Aviva Stadium in March last year to where we are now? Well, I think I think there's a lot. There's there's a lot of hard work that's been put into into moving the dial on that front. When I think back to then, you know, I was I was in Rome the week before for that for that Scotland win out there and then it was obviously Ali Price's 50th cap. They they got the charter home that evening to be able to give them the the optimum chance of of recovery uh in a, in a shorter turnaround heading into into that round 5 match and 
you know, there was the fallout. There was the fallout with the, you know, the small group of players who who headed into town and, you know, you heard all of the different, the gossip and thoughts and uh, stories around what had happened, who had said what and where. Now, I think the people got it wrong. Now, at what level those mistakes were made, um, I'm still not sure and doesn't really bother me anymore. The reality is, is that they've dealt with it. They've, they've addressed the issue. The summer tour, which was the next opportunity for Gregor to get his hands on the squad. They, you know, they obviously went down to Argentina without a, lo a load of the Lions guys who were given the summer off, which included the likes of Stuart Hogg to be able to, you know, put himself back together, get a bit, little bit of surgery. Finn Russell had some time off. Um, and I think as a result, there was a, that was a, also an opportunity for Gregor Townsend to hand some re responsibility to some of them, maybe, uh, not lesser leaders, but less experienced leaders, possibly to step up and really take a, take ownership of, of what was happening within the squad. And you know, it was a it was a, a, an interesting tour. They you know they lost the first test that they should never have lost, and then um, it was it was a, there were challenges for for Scotland, but at the same time they've probably grown through it. And I think this Six Nations, you know, I spoke to Finn. Back in the in the November tests, actually, and at that at that point, he said that he had he and Gregor sat down and that they were on the same page, and that never has have those words rung truer than when you start seeing Scotland playing now, because you know they're the two guys. The the, the coach delivers the vision and the strategy to his players, but if you've got key men in key decision making positions, and you look at you know, you look at Ireland either with, you know, Gibson Park and Sexton, um, you know, or Murray and Sexton or, or whatever. They know how Farrell wants to play the game and they deliver that because they're on the same page and they know that they're the people who on field deliver that, that performance. I could see this time last year, there was a disparity between where Gregor Townsend was and Finn Russell was. There was a clash, there was a, and, and that carried on field. And but this season you can clearly see that there is a there is a shared picture as to what that looks like. And if if Gregor Townsend draws the outline of the picture, Finn Russell has got the the coloring coloring in pens to be able to color it the way that he knows Gregor wants it to be delivered. And when you've got those two people on the same track, the others all understand their role and responsibility in, in making that tick. And you can see it with Scotland with ball in hand look like they all understand what they're doing. The carriers, the options, the, the clearing men, the kick chase, you know, all of the, the counter attack, all of these things seem to be much clearer and people seem to be on the same page and and with that you're able to build consistency so i think you know it's it's a it's a long way of saying that a lot of work's been put in but they're starting to see the the that work come to fruition now with that consistency of performance and scotland have always said on their day they can challenge anybody and more often than not now they're having days whereby they can challenge the team no matter how good they are and yeah they won't win them all but they'll certainly run people close. And first, just ask a question on that. Sorry, Neil, Rory. Uh, I think uh, I can see exactly what you what you're saying in terms of how Scotland are performing, and and, and I think um, they're probably the best Scottish team that I've seen for a long time. I just remember back to when Gregor got the job. 
you know, the SRU decided that he was the man to replace Fern quite far out. Um, and I also, uh, I was speaking to a New Zealand friend of mine who said Liam McDonald is, is interviewed for the for the Scotland job to replace Gregor after the after the World Cup. Um, what is the risk of of the SRU not backing Gregor now in terms of being him the guy to to um uh, to stay on after this World Cup and 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 be the coach? Um, you know, can they afford to wait? I know France are looking at him as the attack coach, um, and. Obviously, that won't have an effect on this weekend, this Sunday, but it could have an effect on the World Cup. It could have an effect on, on, on this this Scottish team, you know, being winning silverware next year or, or maybe this year. So, just your thoughts on on that? Can the SRU afford to wait to make a decision, or is, is do you think it's a done deal and they're going to move on? Well, I'd, I'd be, I'd love to know. I'd love to be a, a fly on the wall at, at Murrayfield to to know the discussions on the go. Now, I. I honestly don't don't know where things are. Um, I it's it, really interesting to to know how performances in the Six Nations might shape things, or whether you know. I, I'd imagine. I guess if if I put myself in the seat of Mark Dodson on the board at, at Scottish Rugby, I would want to try and keep as many opportunities open as possible and options open as possible. Um, until the the Six Nations now, until the end of the Six Nations now, for and, and without even suggesting that where Scotland finish in the table is going to dictate whether Gregor Townsend's in the mix now, I'm not sure where Gregor is um, on that at the moment. I would have thought from his perspective he wants to be able to secure his future, but also right now he is just living in the Six Nations bubble. He wants to drive performance from his team. He wants to get the best out of his players and his coaches and himself. And distractions like contract negotiations, whether with France or club or Scotland or whatever it might be, would only distract him from doing that job. So I'm hopeful that the lines of communication have been strong enough that that the people, that whatever the discussions, they've been able to get onto the same page and say. Let's let's get the Six Nations done, but within a two-week period after the Six Nations, we want to be really clear as to who our who our next person is in line. Now, naturally, there there'll be the the World Cup is always when the 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 gears start to crank on the coaching merry-go-round because most international coaches' contracts run for in World Cup cycles. Um, now, what does what does it look like for Gregor Townsend? If Gregor Townsend signs a new contract with Scottish Rugby, I would imagine that would be a four four year contract to take him through to Australia in twenty seven. Now, that being the case, he would be would have been in the job for ten years, and that's a long time for a head coach to be in a role. Now, I don't know what Gregor's own ambitions are um, as a coach. He's obviously coach. He's probably living the dream at the moment of being Scotland's head coach, but he will also have further targets that he would have set himself. So it will be interesting to see how that works, where Scottish rugby's take is on things. Do they feel that there needs to be a, a fresh voice and fresh ideas for a new cycle? Because let, let's not forget, there are a number of players who after this World Cup will, like, will, well, will certainly not play a part in the next World Cup. Now, whether that's your your Richie Grays or guys like Fraser Brown or you know the likes of Stuart Hogg, Finn Russell possibly, Chris Harris. These guys are all 30 plus now. So yes, I know that players can 
can extend their careers and, and keep playing some great rugby. Look at Johnny Sexton as a great example. But um, it would be interesting to see how that whole picture comes into deciding who is next in line for Scotland. But I think now the beauty is that for the, the, Scot the Scottish job is one that I think more coaches would want now, uh, more global coaches would want now than they have done ever before because they can see the the quality of, of player and performance that is that is building. Birch, I might put one to you on Gregor Townsend. Even aside from the various things and improvements Scotland have made on the pitch, how impressed have you been with the way he's he's handled things off the pitch just with various situations like you know dealing with Finn Russell and mending that relationship over the last year or how he handled the the situation with Stuart Hogg and captaincy where he's essentially moved it on to to Jamie Ritchie but Stuart Hogg doesn't seem to have been put out by this enormously he's probably playing steadier consistent rugby where he's probably not having the the nine playing the nines and tens that he had in the past but his his he's not he's not having the poor performances either he's probably more in the middle of the road getting those performances how how have you been impressed by what Gregor Townsend has done just to manage the squad I've been really impressed I mean you know obviously he didn't pick Finn in November probably misread the room saying it was because of form um, but injuries allowed Finn come back in and they repaired that and I think that's what really good coaches do they 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 show they're fallible and, and admit you know they made an error or maybe that was what was needed to have that clear the air chat which has now led us to um, it seemed as if there's been really good alignment between Gregor and, and Finn and you know Finn is a big part of what Scotland do um, even though I think that they've found some real power powerful athletes uh, I thought their pack stood up really well to a monstrous French pack I think some of their backs are as powerful as anyone in, in, in world rugby they still want to be a team who play fast and, and take chances and um, Finn Russell you know is a key key to that how Stuart Hogg who's making his 100 cap and you know, uh, this weekend is an amazing achievement. Three Lions tours hasn't, you know, been the talking point on the field, um, uh, like Duane, uh, Duane van der Mer, etc., or Hugh Jones. But there's a big game in him, and he's been very consistent, as you say. And um, yeah, I, I like it. I I think, I think they've he's done a good job, and and probably I know what I know. What Rory's saying, you know, four more years would be ten years, and that's a long time. But I do feel that he's very comfortable now at, at, as an international coach and, you know, has probably learnt a lot about these players individually, but also, you know, how to go to a World Cup or how to try and close out games. And, um, yeah, I think Scotland are in a, in a very good place. Neil, I think, um, just to come in on, you know, Hoggy, there's, there's not a person in the world who has a senior role who would be comfortable with being demoted. But I think Hoggy, the way that he's dealt with it... Um, just shows the class of the guy. I think he's he's misunderstood, and I get I get really frustrated when you know when people the first thing they say about him is is you know the hairline and the and 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 the new Nashers. But I think for me the he's he's a really experienced guy who loves nothing more than representing his country. And he you know he had a candid conversation with Gregor when he was told that he wasn't going to captain the squad anymore. Um, and he felt he the first thing he needed to focus on was getting the best out of himself and taking a step away from the leadership group as a whole in order to do that, but also understanding his responsibility and driving standards and, and providing a, a, 
a point of, of, of reference um, for some of the younger players to be able to go to and, and share experiences and, and challenge because he's, he's a guy that he's grown so much of you. I remember when he first came through the system, I was, I was playing and um, he was, you know, he had, he had massive swag to him. He really, you know, I, he was he was verging on the arrogance because you know this this self belief that he had, and actually in a in a sad way, the external noise around him knocked a bit of that out of him. But he knows what he stands for, and he knows why he's in that Scotland squad, and he knows where he adds value. And it it was a bump. There's no doubt. It was a hit to his ego. It was a hit to his confidence to lose the captaincy. But after a bit of time of reflection, he's able to stand up and say, you know what. I've, I know where my value add is. I know my own value full stop. And now I've just got to focus all of my energy on being as good as I can be and bringing others with me, even without that title. So he stepped up, shown his class. Finn, you know, whether it's the conversation he's had around the table with Gregor, learning from his mistakes, or, you know, recently becoming a dad of a daughter, you know, all of these things come into play when it comes to the gro growth of, of people. And Gregor's massive on that as well. He's... He's a he's a got a growth mindset. He's somebody who's all always looking to get better and better. But he also realizes that people are human, right? We all make mistakes. We're not, we're very few of us are our best every single day. Um, and actually, you know, if, if you if you make mistakes and learn and move forward, um, then you know you've got you've got the opportunity to to change things positively. And Rory, the important thing then for Scotland is in the last twelve months the supporting cast around. Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg has has grown and grown in confidence, and you probably alluded to as to why with the the tour in Argentina where where Finn and Stuart Hogg didn't go, but you know in the Six Nations we've seen the likes of Two Peloto and Hugh Jones brilliant in the centre, and Birch mentioned some of the forwards like Pierre Scum and George Turner, Xander and uh, and Matt Fagerson have been carrying really well, and and Richie Gray as well, who it seems was was yesterday's man for. For for the last few years, but all of a sudden is is playing like a player reborn. Yeah, I mean Richie, well, he's a phenomenal specimen. He's a phenomenal athlete. Um, I think if you met if you met Richie and got to know him as a guy, he's incredibly laid back. I mean, he is. It, if you were going to base your perception on on him on what he's like off field, you'd you'd get him all wrong because he is. He's horizontal, um, so laid back, not a, not a care in the world. Um, but he is incredibly driven. He is a high-performance athlete. He's done it at the top end of pretty much every league um, in Europe. And uh, he's he's really understood how to get the best out of himself. I think um, the, you know, the coaches around him, both at club and international level, have, have been able to tap into his experience and also... Uh, allow him to be himself and you know i think he's he's shown some absolutely amazing moments throughout the the championship so far he gets on with the hard work his work his work rate is exceptional like his brother but you know I, the the big thing that jumps for me was this the, the the speed of hands in the outside channel against england to give duhan van der merwe the chance of a of a one on one or turned out to be a one on three but that's okay for duhan um, but otherwise, it was it, that that attack would have been shut down. And I think he's he's really stepped up. Um, as Bert says, there's you know loads of other guys across the board. These 
even even Jamie Ritchie, you know, he's a guy that just quietly goes about his business. Captains speaks to the referee well. He he rarely does the flashy stuff, but he understands that if he doesn't do his job, then guys like Hugh Jones and Finn Russell aren't able to do theirs to the to the maximum effectiveness. So I think there's been a across all all three match days, it's been a 23 man effort and and beyond with the with the squad. Um, but I think tying into that, Gregor's also been afforded the opportunity to keep consistency of selection. You know, just making minor tweaks. And if you look at the the best teams now in Ireland and and France, there's that consistency of selection whereby you've got the combinations with the ability to um, under, understand each other that much more. And the match minutes and the, the at, at the very top end of the game, could, because you know that big games come down to fine margins. And with, with experience and cohesion, those fine margins can go your way versus, you know, chopping and changing things. Birch, for 20 minutes now, we've been plumossing Scotland with compliments. I'm going to ask you now. What are the what are the areas of their team that Ireland can expose on Sunday? Look, I I think their defense has got much better under Steve Tandy. Um, but I think the way they conceded those opening scores against France will give Ireland a little bit of comfort. I know Ireland didn't defend well against Italy, and 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 I said I don't think Scotland are a poor team defensively at all. But Ireland's attack has been so good over the last year that we have found opportunities against every uh, pretty much every defense so that's something obviously we've got a we've got to go to um i think ireland will would sex them back in which i i uh, think is going to happen um they'll play that kicking game uh, quite well that england did for long periods but obviously they'll they'll be very conscious of of having to make sure they're very detailed on their kick chase and Shut down that counter attack opportunity, which which Scotland are probably the best uh, best at. There's no obvious weakness. It, it, like I'm, I'm saying, we'll, I'm saying that we hope we can open up some holes defensively, but it's 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 not uh, it's not something that's very transparent or very consistent. But certainly France did exploit quick um, uh, very well in Ireland. They don't tend to need a lot of chances um, at the moment, um, and they're they're playing with a, a real fluidity. So. It's gonna be it's gonna be an incredibly tough game. Um, but I think this Irish team they seem very very confident, uh, very settled, and hopefully we're good enough to to go and get a an away win. Rory, what would your general sense be of of Sunday? Of you know, is there an area of Scotland that you think Ireland would be able to expose? Well, I think um, you know, Birch mentioned I- I- Ireland with the ball are are just so difficult to stop. They have threats all across the fields. Uh, you know, close channels, midfield, wide channels, good kicking game. Um, the, the, the nuts and bolts of their game are so, so strong. And then off the back of that, you've got this, this understanding as to how they want to play, the fluency, the, the skills and ability to look after the ball. I mean, you need... Scotland will have to be armed each player with a double crowbar to be able to get the, the ball off the off Ireland. You know, they are so good at looking after it. Um, very rarely waste um, waste opportunities. And particularly, they're, Ireland are number one in the world because their effectiveness um, and clinical nature in the final quarter is easily the best in the world. They, the innovation, the ideas... The power game, 
the the speed of ball, the decision making, all five of those contributing factors feed opportunity after opportunity. And you know we've seen it with, you know whether it's Andrew Porter or Caelan Doris in 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 the tight channels or in the wide channels, Hugo Keenan or James Lowe or you know. I could I could name twenty three players who all have an ability to impact the game, and I think that's the so therefore looping things right back to 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 you know Birch's comments and and your question, Neil. It's Scotland have to bar up physically because Ireland every time Ireland faced Scotland, and I sp- I've spoken to a number of ex Ireland players, they they just say we'll win the physical battle, and if we win the physical battle, we'll win the game. So if Scotland are second best physically, they won't win the game. They've got to match Ireland or better Ireland in physical battles. And beyond that, they've got to starve them of, as uh, you know, keep them to as few opportunities in the final quarter as possible. And with that, you need excellent discipline. So getting that balance between you know, defensive line speed and physicality to take the momentum away from Ireland, but also keeping discipline when you're trying to challenge for rock ball to slow it down, because you know that Ireland with quick rock ball are going to cause any defence in the world problems. Managing that discipline, because you know that if Ireland get a penalty early on within 40, 45 metres of Scotland line, I would not be surprised in the slightest if they go for the corner and say, here we go, we're setting, the, we're setting our marker right here. We're going to bang into the corner. We're going to set up a mall. We're going to attack, attack, attack. And we're going to squeeze the life out of Scotland and make a statement in the opening exchanges. So the only chance you have of avoiding that, for me, is keeping yourself really clean in discipline. Pick your battles when you challenge for ball, but also understand whereby you'll be better with men on feet just getting the line speed. So I think it's the, the physical battle is always where it's going to come down to set piece is going to be really crucial, as, as it always is. Um, if Scotland get that right, Ireland could still win the game. Let make no bones about it, because they don't they don't need many opportunities to score points, Ireland. And just finally, then before I get a prediction from you, is this is it almost a case of like you know, without trying, without being patronising towards Scotland, but is a a losing bonus point defeat where Scotland really put it up to Ireland and go out and put in a dominant performance next week against Italy? Would that ultimately culminate in a in a pretty decent Six Nations, all things considered, for Scotland? You ask any player in the in the Scotland squad. Yeah, the players aren't going to agree with that, obviously. Yeah, though, whether but... they whether they accept a, a losing bonus point at Murrayfield um in a Six Nations game, you will it will take less than one hundredth of a second to get the answer. I won't I won't get back out of the changing room. <laughs> yeah and look um Scotland, Scotland will believe they can win on, on Sunday. There is there is no doubt about that. They they will they're incredibly proud of what, what an opportunity. First time in forever that Scotland are going after a triple crown. That'll add an, an extra bit. Um the key thing for me has got to be the opening quarter. Scotland have to get out the blocks. You can't you can't be points down to you know 19 points down to France and Paris. They come back, they get within a score. They threw away a couple of opportunities against Ireland. Ireland are, for me, the best team in the world at defending a lead. Um, so Scotland have to start well to have any chance. I do believe that Scotland, with their with their best performance, could win the game. Um, I think, and plus the fact now we saw it in Paris, 
you know, the the high shots, the red the the red cards, this kind of thing, anything can happen in there. That aside, I think Scotland with their best performance can really stress and challenge Ireland. They'll want four points. They'll know that they'll probably need five because they'll they'll need to to score a lot of points to beat Ireland. Um so I think uh, you know, if, if Scotland had come into this championship being offered three from five um, wins in the championship, I think they'd still say, "Now nah, we want four. We've got three home games, and we expect to pick up one on the one on the road." So it would it would be a satisfactory Six Nations, if not a great Six Nations. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. Final call then. What's your what's your head telling and what's your heart telling you for for Sunday? My my head's telling me that Scotland will push Ireland close, but it will be, I don't know, somewhere but Ireland by six to eight points maybe. Um, my 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 heart says that Scotland have got the bit between their teeth at the moment and um and can really pressure pressurize and, and uh, stress Ireland and that it might go the other way by by a couple of points, but that is coming back to your very first question of this pod. That is in hope probably rather than expectation. Birch, what's, what's your head telling you? I'm pretty similar to be honest. I think we could, we could lose this game. Um, if things fall right for Scotland, um, if we're not on the ball defensively, I, I really admire their attack. I think the balance they have with their attack is, is phenomenal and starts with Ben White who's been really impressive at nine and, Center combination, they've got firepower in the wing, and I said Hogg's been quiet, but there's there's a magic moment in him. So um I think we'll just about get there to be honest. I I I think you know we probably are used to we're in a really good winning run, there's really good belief, and that'll be enough to help us just just sneak a win. All right. Two just about Ireland wins are probably being predicted. That's what I'm getting here. So that's three o'clock on Sunday afternoon, Scotland against Ireland at Murrayfield. Live on RT2 and RT Player and also live commentary on the radio on RT Radio 1. On Saturday, then you have, uh, you've got Italy against Wales, 2.15, followed by England against France, 4.45 at Twickenham. But that's where we leave it on the RTE Rugby Podcast. Birch, thank you as always. Thanks, guys. And Rory, thanks a million for joining us. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Birch. Thanks for having me. See you, boys.